Boom, what up? Hello, bonjour, and hola, real leaders. This is Kevin Edwards, your host here, and I am so excited. You're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, real, and loaded with inspiration, guaranteed to support your impact journey. So sit back, enjoy the listen, folks, share a review afterward, and always keep it real. All right, here we go now in five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and joining us, folks, is Zach Kaufman, the co-founder and CEO of Vera Solutions. Zach, thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Kevin. Great to be here and excited to chat with you. Excited to chat with you, too. So, Zach, uh, I'm curious to know a little bit about Vera Solutions as your organization, and more so for the folks listening out there today who are kind of maybe starting their podcast, or maybe they're so far down the line they forgot where they started. What's the earliest memory of Vera Solutions with you and your co-founder? Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, well, so Vera Solutions, we're a global social enterprise that's working to amplify the impact of the social sector using cloud and mobile technology. And we could chat quite a bit more about kind of what that looks like day to day. Um, but the earliest memory, so Vera really grew out of a nonprofit that I used to, that I used to work for. I, I moved over to South Africa from the States uh, back in 2008. Uh, and was in a role overseeing what we call kind of monitoring and evaluation in the social sector, or impact measurement, if you will. Um, and, uh, and and this was really an amazing organization that was that was small but growing uh, and about to get a big grant from the U.S. government uh, to scale from 5,000 kids a year to 50,000 kids a year coming through their program in South Africa. And this was an adolescent health uh, organization, and we really didn't have the systems in place to manage to manage that. And so. Vera really started before before it was Vera. It actually kind of incubated within this NGO that I worked with. We, it started by solving that problem within this organization. And what we the way we did it was was basically uh, putting in place stronger stronger systems in that organization. It was an organization that was and it remains an organization really committed to to evidence and and running evidence based programs. And it was asking all the right questions, but all the data was sitting in paper and Excel spreadsheets, and you had this kind of one-way flow of data from the field to the local office, to the head office, to the funder with one person you know, who could answer questions about the organization's impact. So uh, basically, I had the idea to kind of over, overhaul that, and uh, we found that the Salesforce platform uh, would be an interesting way to kind of better manage the, the organization's program and impact data, which was a really, back in 2008, 2009, a really wacky idea um, and has since turned out to be a really powerful idea and something that thousands of organizations are doing. So it, it really grew out of that innovation. We changed the way that that organization was operating. You went from no feedback loops and no visibility on, you know, for, for the staff in the field on how we're doing, uh, you know, questionable data quality at times to a system where, every, you know, an organization where everybody had access to the data that they needed uh, and the, the data that was relevant for them. We had dashboards kicking out to everybody in the organization from you know, volunteers in the field to the CEO in, in a boardroom. And data became really part of the lifeblood of, of the organization and, and really a big part of how decisions were being made and how uh, programs were being run. And it turned out after that, that other organizations had very similar challenges and started coming to us and saying, uh, you know, how do we do this? This is exactly what we need, but we uh, run a program for orphans and vulnerable children, or we run a gender-based violence program, or we run a clinic. Uh, how can we kind of get onto better 
uh, onto better data management systems. And so a couple of colleagues and I at, at that NGO started consulting to help those organizations go through that transformation. And uh, and out of that grew Vera. It basically grew beyond the mission of this NGO. And so with the blessing of the, the CEO and the COO of that organization, we spun Vera Solutions out as a, as a B corporation and, and uh, started this amazing journey 12 years ago. Incredible, incredible. And I love when I hear an organization just forming naturally. I was working in a company. There was a problem. I helped solve it. And then other NGOs needed it. And then this became like a high demand for a lot of NGOs. And we need this creative business. Help me understand a little bit more about when you realized that there was this pent up demand for uh, these these cloud solutions at this time. Like bring us into like 2008, 2009. Um, what were you mm. thinking as an entrepreneur at that time, as a consultant? Were you going out to businesses? Help me understand like how, how you realize you could actually start this company. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, as you said, it was incredibly organic, right? It was really, it was really just solving the problem that was in front of us, right? Just trying to solve it in the context of the one organization I was, uh, you know, I was working for and I, you know, I was 22 at the time, right? So I was, you know, it was very early in, in my career. Uh, and I was thrust into a position with an incredible opportunity, um, getting to work closely with the CEO of that organization, the director of programs uh, and others, and really taking a lot of inspiration from them. But just seeing how this organization that's really committed to impact, doing incredible work in the field is being kind of held back by its systems, its, mm -hmm. its data systems. It's like such a fixable thing, you know? Um, and so I felt that problem like personally, right? And I think that that's, you know, I'm sure you hear this from a lot of entrepreneurs, right? Like that, I think that's the, you're best set up to solve problems as an entrepreneur when you have experienced them or we, when you really understand them personally. And that's really where, where Vera started, um, was this deep personal understanding of, we need a better data system for managing all of our program data, all of our, all of our impact data. And, and so, you know, as other organizations started coming to us, it just became, it became really clear that this was, this need was bigger than we, than we had realized, but, in, but still, I think in the early stages, it was, just solving the problems that were in front of us, right? And I think it probably remained that even through the first the first few years. I think we just kind of realized, hey, the way we're going to solve these problems is we need we need to set up a we need to set up either a company or or a nonprofit, right? We need to set up an entity so that we have a bank account so that people can pay us to to you know plug in and do these projects. Uh, and so you know that that was kind of you know it was it was bit by bit kind of solving this problem in front of us, that problem in front of us. It was not a there was no lengthy business plan that was you know, charting out the next, you know, 12 years of growth by any means at, at that point, it was, uh, it was super organic and, and really a lot of, a lot of fun, right? I think the, um, you know, the, the three co-founders uh, we were, and, and to be honest, almost everybody else that's ever come through the organization, we're all kind of obsessed with problem solving. We're all really passionate uh, technology enabled problem solvers. And, uh, and that's really what the organization's always been about is, is helping organizations to, to solve their challenges, kind of understanding and empathizing with where they're at, bringing our experience from the social sector and our experience with technology to help them get to uh, better solutions that they can sustain and, and ultimately kind of adapt and evolve as their organizations evolve. And not just any organization. I mean, these are NGOs. These are impactful organizations. I mean, we're talking about South Africa here who, mm -hmm. you know, if you're a typical American, you kind of see like the, the beautiful beaches, you see uh, Table Mountain. I mean, you see all the amazing things with South Africa, but you know, behind the curtain, you know, there's there's apartheid, there's townships, there's uh, a lot of uh, corruption that is going on in South Africa as well. 
help our audience understand kind of what drove you to that NGO in the first place and your experience working in, in the nonprofit sector. Well, really, I was, I was, I was, and remain really passionate about global health. Uh, and you know, I I grew up in the Midwest, uh, in, in Madison, Wisconsin. Both my parents worked for worked for the public schools, so I kind of I had this ingrained in me this you know interest and passion, I guess, for for public service, or at least of for uh, doing good or, or or being useful, you know, to to, to the world. And um, it, when I was a kid, I kind of thought medicine was going to be the path the, the path for me to do that. Medicine played a big role in my childhood. I grew up with with asthma and a condition called tracheomalacia, and I was a competitive runner. Uh, and so I was constantly, you know, trying to get the most out of my out, out of my body. Uh, and medicine played a role in kind of keeping, you know, keeping illness at bay and, and being able to compete and so forth. And so I wanted to kind of reciprocate that. So I kind of I, I was on this path where I thought I would go into 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 medicine. Um, but I'd never been out of the US. I didn't have a passport. Um, so I, I I went off to to Dartmouth College when I was when I was 18 and showed up without a passport, you know, this kind of middle class kid, you know, grew up, uh, grew up in the Midwest. And, uh, and I was fortunate enough to get to go on a, uh, on a service trip to, to rural Nicaragua. So my first time outside the States was in rural Northeastern Nicaragua, uh, working on a community health team. So we were staffing a clinic uh, for two weeks, we were running uh, community health surveys uh, out in the field, uh, and we were running trainings for, for midwives. And so that was like a really amazing uh, eye opening experience. Uh, it's my first really experience of uh, extreme poverty and, 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 you know, be, be, you know, really kind of working in that, in that context, um, very humbling experience, but it was also, uh, an amazing experience to just get to be a part of trying to solve, you know, some problems in, in, in this kind of context. And, you know, I was working on this medical team and we were, you know, uh, we, we saw a third of the patients we saw in the clinic had gastrointestinal problems. Right. And so we're doing what doctors do, right. You dole out albendazole for parasites, you dole out antibiotics for, uh, diarrhea, like, and I, you know, as I was playing a translator role in the clinic and documenting everything on paper and, you know, I came to kind of see the patterns and say, okay, be able to get to a place where it's like, okay, that's scabies. And I know what the treatment is for scabies. I know how to explain it to the, to a patient. And I could kind of see how, what practicing medicine in this kind of context can, can look like. And I get the importance and the impact of it as well. On the other hand, right, you're not solving the root issue. 60% of the people in the region didn't have access to clean water, right? So it makes sense that a third of the patients have gastrointestinal issues. And so I left this experience and this trip with a real interest, a real passion in disease prevention. And fortunately, uh, I think it was even a few weeks later, um, I met the founder and CEO of this organization called Grassroots Soccer, um, a guy named Tommy Clark, Doc, Dr. Tommy Clark, uh, who's been an crazy, you know, just a, a, an amazing, you know, really important mentor um, of mine uh, over the years, and certainly in the early part of my career. Um, and, you know, got to got to learning about their organization and, uh, see, you know, looking to see if there are ways that I could be useful and could be helpful for, for their organization. And that was how that journey started. Right. I, I um, started interning with him and supporting grant writing, you know, for for grants to the Gates Foundation and Nike and all sorts of different uh, institutional funders. And then eventually uh, moved over to South Africa to support um, helping better, you know, you know, monitor and manage the the programs and evaluate the the programs that we were running uh, in the field. So that's to be honest, like that's that's how I got started. And I think it was the initially the experience in in rural Nicaragua, followed by you know working in the field in the Dominican Republic, and then obviously working in the field all around Southern Africa that really shaped a lot of my worldview and and ability to kind of understand uh, some of the challenges that the that the sector faces and and design solutions and work with work with my team to design solutions that are fit for purpose and and ultimately going to be able to help organizations 
you know, from field to funder. It's, you know, it's, it's again, it seems like an organic motive and, and motive. The, the root of that word is the reason for doing something, trying to solve those problems that you care about. Seems like that was that motive. I'm curious to know, though, you just mentioned your your mentor. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm kind of getting a, a sense here that, you know, that mentor really instilled some things into you. What were some of the earliest lessons that you learned as a leader, looking back, 22-year-old Zach, 26-year-old Zach, uh, starting a company, what was your leadership style like at that time? And what were some of the earliest lessons you learned? Yeah, I think that probably the number one thing I learned from Tommy was the importance of being bold and humble. So bold enough to think that any problem can be solved, but humble enough to feel like you've never fully solved it or solved it in the best possible way. There's always room to get to get better. Um, and I think that that's I think that that's really stuck with me over over the years, right? I think if uh, I think um, you know, I, I think a lot I think a lot of my colleagues would describe my style as uh, as uh, really you know collaborative, really open, uh, open minded, um, agile, uh, and, and I think that that is super important in the early stages of starting a, a business or or a social enterprise. Um, and I think I, I think I learned a lot of that in my, you know, I think uh, we we benefited tremendously from a lot of the things we learned in this NGO, right, in, in grassroots soccer. I think it, it sort of very, very much really evolved. We, we, I think, you know, brought elements of this awesome culture in this NGO into this social enterprise that we that we were starting. Uh, and I think, you know, as with, you know, as with all leaders, I think you you, you don't always see all the different small and large ways that others influence you and the, the way that you show up in the world. But, um, but I, I'm, you know, I'm really mindful and really grateful of, um, of all the great, you know, support and mentorship that I've gotten over the years. And Zach, in terms of growth, like from your experience, starting from that consultancy and then growing mm -hmm. into this, you know, cloud solutions, data management mm -hmm. system business, mm -hmm. what were some of the, the key findings that you experienced? throughout that that growth well i think we're i think we're constantly learning i think it's a key a key element of our of, of our culture and so you know in a way you you know i could ask you I, I could say well give me give me a year you know over the course of the company's history and i could give you a few a few takeaways right or a few learnings i mean there's so many different pivot points uh, and um evolutions of of the company but one really important one for us has been this transition from being a just a consulting company. Um, I mean, okay, is a consulting company that's working with you know hundreds of organizations. I mean, today we worked with over three hundred and seventy organizations uh, around the globe. Uh, you know, we've now grown you know grown to a team of uh, one hundred and ten. Um, but but really evolving our approach from being entirely service oriented, so entirely focused on delivering consulting services, to recognizing that there were some common patterns in the challenges that we were observing, uh, particularly in the larger organizations we were working with, and that it wasn't the best approach to keep solving it one off, right? That it wasn't the best approach to keep, uh, you know, building from scratch each each solution uh, for each uh, client, for each client. And so what we started to see by, you know, 2012, 2013, 2014, was there were really these common patterns, these common needs. Uh, and so we started in 2014, 2015 to design a package solution, um, which is called AMP Impact. Um, which leverages that same power and flexibility of Salesforce that we saw in the early days, right? That enabled us 
to better manage and track uh, our, our program data and our, and our impact data. Uh, it leverages that, but it gives you kind of an, an out of the box you know, solution that's 50, 60, 70% of, of what an organization needs to start tracking their programs, their projects, or their grants uh, on the Salesforce platform. And then tracking, you know, building up the log frames or the results frameworks, if you want, tracking the indicators or KPIs or metrics that you're going to use to, to define, you know, how are we doing in terms of our outputs and our outcomes on this project or this program or this grant, uh, and then be able to track the results of that over time against the targets that have been set. And so, um, you know, I think what we found is that as we solved that problem, you know, maybe for the third or fourth or fifth time, it was like, okay, there is a common need here. And actually the best way to solve it for the sector isn't going to be to one-off build it over and over and over again. It's going to be to build a package solution that we're invested in, that we're constantly committed to making better and better, uh, and that clients are licensing from us to help invest to to inject uh, revenue that we can then reinvest into the the improvement of that that product and the support of it, right? To ensure that they're they're getting what they need over over time. Mm -hmm. um, so that that was a really important lesson, right? Is that uh, you know is that consulting you know consulting as a means of operating. Uh, was was awesome because we could deliver a hundred percent solutions, but seeing that there there's kind of an opportunity and a need to to package up you know some of our learnings into into a SaaS you know in this case a SaaS product uh, became a real uh, a real opportunity to put a little bit of arc in our in our growth curve if you will right um, to enable us to grow at, at a faster rate and serve serve more you know more organizations right the consulting side of our business is growing about fifteen to twenty five percent year over year. The, the SaaS side of our business is growing, you know, 50 plus percent year over year. And that's coming off of, you know, even faster growth uh, in, in, in recent years. In, in terms of this growth, this fast growth, what are some of the growing pains that have come along with this fast growth? Well, I think, I think what a lot of folks would say is, is that a common, a common growing pain, uh, it, uh, well, two, uh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll pinpoint two, two for you. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, one really common one is just trying to balance quality with scale, right? So as you're as you're scaling up, ensuring that you're not uh, sacrificing in any way, right? The the quality experience that that your clients or your customers are are, are getting, right? And I think that a lot of companies rest, wrestle with that. And uh, the more packageable your offering is, or the more packaged up your offering is, you know, the more reliable it's going to be. The le there's less kind of room for room for error or room for variation, I suppose. Um, but also you can lose that some of that human touch uh, as well. Um, I think the the um the other the other piece that I would I would say is is a growing pain for us at least operating on five continents uh, is you know they're like not investing enough in our infrastructure um, uh, or in the you know I guess some would say back office, but but kind of under investing in the in the you know in, in the early years and even really into the middle part of the last decade in finance operations you know legal hr the, you know you, I, I think these sorts of areas can can often get neglected as you're just kind of pursuing mm -hmm. growth and sales uh, yeah you know sales more delivery right um and so i think that that's we've we've certainly learned that lesson and, and i think been uh you know adjusting for that in in recent years and really making sure we're building up strong teams across the company not just focused on you know being the best consultants that we can possibly be but building an amazing product you know, building an amazing an amazing organization, right, and and continuing to bring an amazing pipeline of uh, of talent as well. And you continue to hit on, you know, we want to be an amazing or organization. We're not just any organization. We care about something other than just profit. 
-hmm. what makes a good culture to you? Well, I think, I think it's a, it's a sense of buy-in and a sense of ownership among the staff, right? That they, that they feel connected and they feel part of something bigger. Uh, that's, I think that's the mark of a good organizational culture. And, you know, there's not one, there's not one recipe for how you build, uh, build organizational culture, right? There's so many different, different ways to, to go about it. And I think for us, it probably won't surprise you to know that like, it's been a pretty organic experience for us. Like we didn't read a bunch of books on like, here's how you build organizational culture and then go implement strategy A, B, C, D, F. Um, so, um, you know, I, I think every, every organization is going to have a, a, you know, quite, quite different, different sort of cultures, but like, uh, or different, you know, its own, its own unique culture. I think for us, you know, our culture is really purpose-driven, right? I think that's a big part of what, what brings people into the company is, uh, seeking kind of meaning and purpose, right? Wanting to have an impact in the work that they're doing. It's absolutely a culture of learning and growth, right? So I think uh, folks are seeking out an opportunity to uh, not just kind of take the skills they have and create impact with those skills, but actually to sharpen their skills and, and get better or learn, you know, learn new skills. Um, and, and that's a big part of our culture and, and that we're, we really see everybody in the company really sees uh, themselves, I would say, as you know, constant learners and constant teachers, right? We all have a responsibility to keep learning and we all have a responsibility to keep teaching what, what we've learned. Um, and I think we've got, I think we've got a culture, we do not have a very competitive culture, right? We have a culture that's, that's very collaborative um, and um, kind, you know, very, very collaborative and kind would be how I would frame it. We, <clears throat> when we, when we onboard folks, we, we, um, we often talk about rule number one, which is be kind, right? Doesn't mean you have to always be nice, right? Mm. But it's really important to be to be kind, uh, and you know, and and that you know that really resonates throughout the throughout the organization. It's not easy to always be kind, but um, sometimes sometimes the kindest thing you can do is actually delivering constructive criticism, right? And 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 helping folks, you know, get get better at their at their jobs through you know seeing where where things might have you know fallen a little short, right? Um, but those are those are kind of three important elements of our culture and. Um, you know, I think they're, I think they're built through, you know, intentional initiatives, like how we design our onboarding and I, you know, can share a little bit more about that. I think it's something that was at least pre COVID something that was really quite unique about our, our approach, taking everybody out, uh, camping for a weekend and then, um, spending a week, a, a week in, uh, in a college classroom, uh, kind of learning the ins and outs of the organization, learning how to do data modeling, learning, you know, kind of every, everything from technical to, you know, uh, to, uh, you know, just professional, like how we, how we operate. Um, I think that that influenced our culture quite a lot. Obviously in COVID years, we've had to kind of make that virtual, like bring that into a virtual space. Um, and, and I think we've learned, we've learned a lot in doing that. Um, but you know, the culture has got to keep changing too. You know, you can't just sort of get too tied to the culture looking and feeling like one particular way. I think if there's one word that you've probably stated the most in this podcast has been learn. How do you continually keep a learning mindset? Oh, that's a that's a, that's a great question. I mean, I think, I guess, uh, I, I guess it comes back a little bit to the earlier the earlier discussion around you know what were some of the most important lessons that you that you picked up earlier early on, right? Being being bold and humble, right? Like that that humble <laughs> that humility uh, and that humble aspect of. Um, you know, who I, I, you know, I think most folks would say I, I am kind of at my core, right? I think is with that doesn't just come, a, you know, kind of a, a quiet humility, it comes 
the desire to get better, the desire to absorb, the you know, the desire to learn. Um, and uh, I, you know, I think that there's, um, yeah, I, I don't know that there's necessarily like one one way to 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 do it, but I think at least for me, it's a it's a core part of who I am. I, I probably probably have my parents and my upbringing to to thank for that. Growing you know, growing up in a in a university town and being surrounded by you know, a lot of really progressive mindsets that, that challenge, you know, challenge the, the way I think and, uh, hearing different perspectives, you know, all, all throughout my life and, and having a long, you know, wonderful, uh, educational journey, you know, where I was exposed to lots of different subjects and, and there's always room to, you know, there, there's always room to learn new, you know, learn about new areas or, or skills, you know, and, and I think that that's, um, something that I was really grateful for at, at my, at my high school, you know, amazing uh, teachers, at, 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 you know, at Madison West High School in, in Madison, Wisconsin, and and in college as well and beyond in my graduate studies in, in London as well. So um, I think it, it, you know, it comes from the influence that others have on you. And I think it comes a little bit from an innate desire to just get better. And, and I, I do think like at, at the core, at your core, if you are purpose driven, if you are if your aim is to be useful for the world, which which I would say mine is, um, then you know it's really important that you're putting the skills that you've got to use. But it's also really important that you that you're constantly reflecting on how can I do better, how can I get better. Zach, I, I can sense and really feel the energy, you know, just beaming through the Zoom call um, and really through through the audio. Um, you're really passionate about this stuff, but I, I want you to kind of tell me a time when when you've when you've lost that energy, when the energy wasn't there, has there been a time when, or, or tell our audience, because I think it's just really important, you know, for the entrepreneurs listening out there, like, man, I really need some help right now. I'm really struggling with my business. What, when was the time when that energy wasn't there for you? Yeah. Well, I mean, we've been, I, you know, fortunately I've been blessed to build an amazing, you know, board of advisors and other kind of informal advisors who, you know, I'm able to reach out to when, you know, times are tough. I mean, it's, you know, it's the, every entrepreneur has tough times in their, in their journey for sure. Right. One, one time I can pinpoint is if we go back to 2014, um, both my co-founders for different reasons, both of my co-founders decided it was time to move, to move on, uh, from, from Vera. And so we started as, uh, as three co-founders and really had taken this divide and conquer approach to growing the organization in the early days. Um, and, uh, you know, one of them had been deferring graduate school at Harvard and MIT and couldn't defer it any longer. And so it was kind of time to, uh, you know, it was really kind of time to decide, like, you know, which way am I going to go here? Uh, and uh, he decided it's time to, to pivot into, into graduate school. Uh, the other took basically a, a solution that we had incubated within Vera and had the idea of kind of, again, similar to the what I shared about Ampipac, packaging that up, right, and turning that into kind of a scalable uh, product and in, in this case, it was a it was a platform, an integration platform, uh, and we spun that out as a separate business. And I think you know, for I think for Taylor, uh, the second one, he you know, he's he's really uh you know he's an incredibly entrepreneurial guy and needed a bit of space. And Vera was getting to this place where it was becoming more about tightening the screws, right? It was becoming more about kind of putting in place you know process and 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 getting a bit mature, you know, more mature as as an organization. I think he was, you know, he's an incredibly creative, uh, you know, creative, energetic guy, um, you know, wanted a bit of space to, to create something new, right? And, and so 
it forced a, a, a challenging time in the organization as you know, I think you wouldn't, you know, a lot of organizations, you lose two out of three co-founders at the same time. Like, you know, there are a lot of organizations that have fallen apart or companies that have fallen apart for, for less than that. Right. And so um, I think it's a, you know, it's a really a, a, a solid achievement, you know, for, for um, the rest of us that we were able to kind of work through and, and also for Car Carty and Taylor, my, my two co-founders that we were able to work through that and put this, put this amazing social enterprise into a place where it could continue to evolve and kind of figure out its next iteration. If it kind of restructure, restructure itself, but that was a challenging time, right? Like it's, and, and I do think um, anytime, you know, I mean, we, you, you heard a little bit about our culture, right? Like we're really, we're really close knit, like right. a group of folks. Right. And so anytime anybody, whether it's a co-founder or, or a teammate, any, anytime anybody from the team, uh, you know, leaves or decides it's it's time to move on, right? That that it's a, it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a gut punch on the way, but uh, in in one way. But on on the other hand, it's you know it, it may be it may be the best for them, it may be the best for for the organization as well. And you need to be able to bounce back from those you know from those sorts of I don't want to call it setbacks, but from those sort of you know those happenings, you know those things that happen uh, along the way, and be able to weather that storm. Certainly. And Zach, tell me about a, a switching gears here. Tell me about a few of the the habits that you've developed over time that have helped you keep this consistency. Walk me through like a, a typical day and also a typical yeah. weekend. Okay. Well, so I'll, I'll name I'll I'll name the key habits first, uh, and and this is also as as you can imagine been a little bit of a work in progress. Sure. So, yeah. um, I was really fortunate to get to be part of the the Global Good Fund Fellowship in 2017, and what they did was they they paired me up with a leadership coach for several months, and then with a, a mentor who worked with me for for a year. And as part of the the fellowship, you work on a leadership development plan, and you do you do first like a 360 review where they get inputs from your board and from your teammates and your leadership team and so forth. And what came out of all of that was that Zach needs to work on uh, his work-life balance. That was kind of like the area that sh that kind of that really shined through like the most as like this is an area where I need to I need to invest. And mm -hmm. if I don't, you know, this risk of burnout. And uh, and we you know we we did some uh, work with folks on uh, in GGF on kind of energy management. And I really absorbed a lot in, in terms of um, you know what it's going to take to be able to kind of keep keep showing up at my best. And so one of the things I realized you know working with my leadership coach was. I remembered that I was a runner, right? So I grew up, my dad's a competitive runner, uh, you know, an elite Nordic skier. And I grew up like on cross country skis and running, you know, as a, as a kid from very early on, you know, competed in high school. And, and I'd gotten away from that. I'd sort of lost this part of my identity mm, um, as sure. work started to, started to take on, right? Like more and more and more, right? And so um, realizing that I, I set out as part of my leadership development plan, I set out a goal to get a personal best uh, that year for in the half marathon, personal best in full marathon, uh, and to run a thousand kilometers, which is not if you're a runner, it's not a super ambitious goal. Uh, but it's but it's not a goal that you can just kind of show up in November and achieve it right it requires consistency. Uh, and so that was that was one thing that 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 was huge. And the second was meditation. Um, and I, you know, I was always somebody who's skeptical about this, you know, meditation, mindfulness really going to be a game changer for me. Um, and at some point, a number of friends had just said, you really should try this out. It really could be a game changer. And so I, I started, I set another goal, which was get to 30 hours of meditation for the, for the year. So, which is basically, you know, doing kind of 10 minute practice every, every morning. And I built that habit. I mean, I'm on, you know, I was just checking uh, insight timer. I was on, I'm on day 209, you know, straight of, of meditation now 
or I haven't missed a day, right? Like of of doing, and, and some days it's just a five, a little quick five minute meditation before bed. But the routine is to try to do that in the in the morning first thing. Um, so that's those are the those are the habits. Uh, and the you know typical typical day days are days take different different shapes. But you know if it's a I'm usually up my, I've got a two-year-old daughter, you know, usually gets me up around six or six 15, uh, if I'm lucky. And, um, and, you know, I'm usually hanging out with her for, for the first hour, 90 minutes in the morning, and then dropping her off, biking her over to, to daycare and dropping her off. And then if it's a Tuesday or Thursday, I'm getting out for a run, uh, and, uh, and doing a morning, a morning workout, which I missed this today's a Thursday. I missed it this morning. So I got to get out this, this evening. Um, and then usually by nine, nine 30, I'm on my first call for the day. And the nature of my work right now is a lot of zoom, a lot of Google meet, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of video conferences. So I'm probably spending, to be honest, probably, uh, seven to nine hours a, a day on, on video conferences and in calls and in between kind of managing Slack and email and trying to carve out little bits of time to do a focus time to do, you know, to do some heads down work on strategy and planning for, you know, planning for the next year or the, or the coming, the coming years. Are you going to be able to make it out to the uh, American Burka Binder this year? Oh man, so you know, no, because uh, it's it's a it's tricky timing in in February. Uh, but I did I did get out a couple of years ago to the Eng the Engadin in Switzerland, which is kind of the equivalent we have over here, um, and it's it's an amazing amazing race. I did go to the Burka Binder every year though. Uh, as a kid, um, my dad, my dad skied it every single year. And I did the quarter lope, which is like the half Berkey a couple of times, which it's an amazing experience anybody, any, any uh, cross country skiers listening, got to get up to, to Cable and Hayward, Wisconsin and, and go experience that at least, at least once. Haven't been, it's an amazing event though. My, my father and stepmother go every single year. So, um, awesome. are you, are you a cross country skier? No, I'm not. <laughs> I don't have that stamina. <laughs> Um, or the desire to do that. I just sit back here in San Diego and surf, and that's about it. Um, <laughs> that's all right. all right. Question for you too, Zach. You mentioned your two-year-old daughter. You're taking her to school. Um, you know, how did did your priorities shift? Tell me a little bit about that when you had your your firstborn. Yeah. So I mean, she was born in the middle of the first year of the COVID pandemic. Hmm. Um, so that was an experience. Um, I, you know, prior to that, um, I was traveling 40 to 50% of the time uh, for work. You know, our teams are in Mumbai, Cape Town, London, Sao Paulo, DC, Boston, right? And so I'm, I'm constantly, you know, bouncing around to visit the team, to visit clients, uh, you know, if you go back to 2019. And so, you know, as my wife and I were, were getting towards, uh, you know, starting a family, we're kind of just, you know, trying to figure out like, how's this going to work? How, how are we going to get, how are we going to reshape my average week, you know? so that we get my travel down from 40 to 50% to 10% or thereabouts, you know, so that I can be actively here, you know, and present in, in our family. Uh, and then the COVID pandemic hit and actually it kind of, it sort of answered, it answered the question for us, right? So there was going to need to be that change in priorities um, in, in a big way. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, right? Like, it's a huge shift going from seeing people in person, right, all, all the time, and the energy that comes from that to being on nine hours of video conferences a day, or video calls a day, right? And so, energy management just becomes super important in this increasingly like virtual, um, you know, setting, you know, that 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 we that we have right now, um, and, and so hence the importance of, of you know habits that really kind of protect energy and and you know, eating well, getting enough sleep, uh, you know, uh, where you can. And I think what I've found is, is really key is blocking off 
the time in my day that I need. So if you talk to my team, they'll tell you mm -hmm. that my calendar is very open, right? And, and everybody has access to my calendar, right? So everybody is open and invited to just book time on, on my calendar uh, when they need it, when they want it, no questions asked. I'll show up if it's on my calendar. Mm. Uh, and I run, I run everything on GCal. Sure. Um, but, um, and our partners have access to it too, right? They can, they can kind of book time. Uh, but I block off that personal time. This is something that I, that I learned in COVID was kind of necessary to do is, is blocking off time with the family, right? Time to be here when, uh, when my daughter gets back from daycare, time to be here in the morning and be present uh, with her to play and sing songs and run around the house in, in the morning, right? And time to cook dinner and uh, ensure that we can, you know, that we can, can you know, keep a, a healthy lifestyle and, and eat well. So, um, yeah. So, Zach, um, Vera Solutions uh, is, is um, sneak peek here. Vera Solutions is going to be receiving the, the 2023 Realtors Impact Awards. Now, we can't, uh, I guess, uh, I already blew it. We, we can't really release it to the public, <laughs> but... Uh, you've made the list before. You're going to be yeah. on it again, and this year we're going to have a, a a larger list of uh, top impact companies around the world. What would be if you if you wanted to say a message to the leaders of those organizations? What would that message be? So I I, I guess a a bit of a personal philosophy for me has been um, make it count, make it last, make it better. Uh, and I think you can apply that to, I think you can make, yeah, I think you can apply that to running a company. I think you can apply that to your life, right? If you're thinking about, uh, running a company, right? Solve problems that matter, right? Why does your, why does your company exist in the first place? Solve problems that matter to the world and that matter to people that matter to the planet. Um, so that's the first piece kind of making, making it count, making it last, right? Build it, build something that's sustainable, right? Like, uh, don't just, you know, don't just go after a, fad or a trend that isn't really going to, that isn't going to last. Like if you're you built, if you really want to build something that counts over the long run, you got to make it last. Right. And the last part, make it better kind of jives with, with a big, a big theme that I guess we've hit on a bit, which is just learning, right. Getting, building that culture of continuous improvement within yourself, within your company. Uh, I think that that's so, that's so key, right. To feel like, you know, there's always room to get a bit better, to feel like you've never quite arrived. That's, the, that's really where powerful innovation comes. I love that second one, both the last. Zach, I'm not going to pretend to know where you are throughout your career or where you are in the company's lifespan, but uh, if you were to exit the company today, what would the legacy be that you would like to leave? Well, I think if we were, I think if we were going to exit, you know, the reason we would exit is because we see an opportunity for greater impact, right? We're an impact-driven company first and foremost. When we started the company, we didn't think, hey, this will be a this will be an amazing tech startup. We can 10 X that thing, you know, like, uh, you know, you know, we didn't have VC backing in the early days, right? It was very, it was very incremental, very organic as, as we, as we discussed. Um, but I think if we, if, if we're going to exit, it's re it would really be seeing, hey, actually, if we plug all of the machinery that we, that we have into a bigger machine, uh, right? If we pl plug the, the IP and we plug the uh, capacity and the skills and the intellect that we've got, into a bigger machine, it could accelerate the impact that we're that we're achieving for for the sector. So that's how I would think about uh, that's how I would think about an exit. And and so it wouldn't be the exit would still be a means to that legacy, Kevin. Like it wouldn't be the exit wouldn't be the end of the wouldn't be the end of the story. Like hey, we grew this company, it was awesome for fifteen years or, or whatever whatever it was, uh, and then we exited right and we and we got bought by some company and uh, awesome. Uh, it would it would be. The exit would be part of the, would be part of the journey itself, and I would hope would be 
really a vehicle to continuing the impact that we're creating now. Yeah, and I love how you answer that about the company, about how it's about we as an organization and, and more talking about a business exit. I'm talking about you, Zach. If oh. you're out on a marathon and something happens to you, what would your legacy be? What would you like it to be? You know, I mean, to be honest, Kevin, like I'm all, I think I'm most proud of the things that, that, I, that like I've created, but nobody knows that I was the one that created it. If that, if that makes sense, right? Absolutely. Like the, the, the little, you know, fingerprints that exist on whether it's a, you know, some, uh, whether it's a system or whether it's an initiative or a project or whatnot. And there's a lot, you know, thinking back on it, like there's a ton of really cool examples of, uh, you know, of this. Um, and, uh, and so I think I would. I think I would, uh, I think I would take a lot of, you know, I, I think I would take a lot of pride in knowing that there's a lot continuing on that I've helped, you know, uh, instill into, you know, into existence. But, you know, it, ideally, the legacy is that it keeps moving, it keeps going, it creates greater and greater impact, right? It's, it's still counting, it's still lasting, it's still getting better. Um, and, and that's what I would hope, that's what I would hope the legacy, the legacy would be. It's a force, and you know it's it's amazing what what things can happen when no one takes credit, right? Um, yeah, right. Zach, it's yeah. it's uh it's been a pleasure having you on this this program today. Uh, for for folks listening out there, they're interested to to get to know a little bit more about you. They want to learn a little bit more about Vera. Uh, yeah. Where can you point them to? Yeah, so you can check out www.verasolutions.org. That's Vera V E R A Solutions.org. Uh, and yeah, you can reach out to us there. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, pretty, pretty easy to find, find on LinkedIn. would love to love to have a chat. If, you know, if we could be helpful, uh, to you on your journey in some way, or if I could be helpful to anybody on, on their journey, I always learn, learn a ton from, uh, the fellow entrepreneurs that I get to, that I get to connect with. And that's always, that's always a big joy. Well, Zach, it's a, it's been a pleasure having you on again. Uh, let's bring this home now. What is your definition of a real leader? For me, uh, a real leader is ultimately uh, somebody who's inspiring others into action. I think there's a million ways to do that. So you have to find your your authentic style for doing it. But, uh, you know, so some are going to live, they're going to lead through listening. Others are going to lead through talking. Some are going to lead more by example. Others are going to lead by building consensus, right? But I think ultimately we're seeing in this day and age, it's about putting purpose ahead of profit. And it's about instilling in others this sense of ownership uh, and empowering them to to do their best work. So that's that's what I would say is my definition of a real leader. For Zach Coffin, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, inspire others into action, and always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Kevin. Hey, Real Leaders, thanks again for listening to this amazing episode. And if you're someone like me who goes all the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. If you go online to realleaders.com today, you're going to get the first 30 days for free where you're going to be able to access all of our magazines courses and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader. 
And always, keep it real.